we're concluding today our series Rock Theology, and of course we had we have to conclude with probably one of my top fav- five favorite bands in the '80s, and so Journey and Any Way You Want It. Now that song is a great, fun song to sing, but I would say that you know, just in general, it's sort of antithetical, you know, to the Christian life. You know, any way you want it, that's the way you need it, and then it's all about everything is all about what you want. And you getting what you want. But the Christian life is really the exact opposite. Instead of singing the song, Any Way I Want It, we ought to be singing the song, Any Way God Wants It. And if that becomes the focus in our our life and the focus of how we live, then it's going to transform and change everything about us. Now, let me try to give you just sort of an example of what happens whenever we try to live with everything that we want. Uh, one of my favorite hobbies, and I'm not saying that I'm good at it, but I enjoy it, is I, I love to fish. And it's a, great, it's a great hobby to have because if you fish, it's, it's not an expensive hobby. I mean, you just need, you need a fishing pole, uh, you need some lures, and then like a brand new bass boat. And so it's just a really cheap little you know, hobby that you have. And I, I enjoy it. My favorite lure to use whenever I go fishing is a white fluke. Now, if you're a fisherman, you know what I'm talking about. It's just a little piece of plastic, and you throw it in the water. And when you twitch it, I mean, it looks like I mean, it looks like a it looks like a fish. Will, it's a deadly bait, isn't it? It is. Incre- Will is the one who really got me onto this, and so I blame him. But it is it's incredible. Now, as good as it looks going through the water, whenever that fish bites into it, he's biting into it because it's something he wants. But let me tell you something: it is not satisfying to that fish. And it's not fulfilling, and the reason why is because it's for one, it's plastic. You know, plastic is not. It, it's not plastic is not very filling. I don't encourage you to find that out for yourself, but it's not filling. And not only that, whenever the fish bites into that bait, there is a hook that's on the inside of it, and it ends up yanking him out of an environment where he needs to be. Now that's what happens whenever you are living any way you want it. But whenever you are living any way that God wants it, then what happens is you end up being filled and you end up being satisfied. You end up being in a place that is good for you. Now, today in our passage of Scripture, we're going to see that there were some, some false teachers who were, who were going around and they were teaching things. And they were teaching some things that, that sounded good. They were saying, Jesus, Jesus is important, but he's not most important. You need Jesus, but, but he's not all that you need. You need some other stuff in your life. And they were trying to substitute other things into their lives in order to fill them up. And the result of that, it was just tremendously damaging. The people ended up being disappointed. The people ended up being hurt. And I think the same thing happens to us. And in so many ways, we are looking for certain substitutes in our lives to fill us whenever Jesus is saying, hey, listen, all that you need is me. All that you need is me. And so that's why the Apostle Paul pointed out today in our scripture why Jesus should take first place in everything in your life. It's not about what do you want, but it's about what he wants. And you might say, well, why should I want to do what God wants me to do? Well, we're going to point out a few things today about why Christ should be first place in your life and in my life. And so if you have your Bible, 
Today we're going to look in Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse number 13. And, and basically in these seven or eight verses that we are going to read, what we are going to see are, are really four reasons why Jesus should be preeminent in everything in your life. And so you might say, well, how does that start out? You know, what is the reason why Jesus ought to be preeminent in my life? And it starts out with a really good one. The very first reason why is because he is the Savior. Jesus came into this world in order to save your life and to save my life. Now look with me in verses 13 and 14. And speaking of Jesus here, it says, He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Now, if you look at the very beginning of that, it says that Jesus has come in order to rescue us. Now, that's not something you can do on your own. You cannot rescue yourself. And that, that should make sense. I mean, if you fall into water and you are drowning, can you rescue yourself? I mean, no, I mean, it's not like you put, your, you know, put your arm around and you just drag yourself out if you're drowning. It's an impossibility. It does not happen. Now, Jesus is saying that many of us are trying to rescue ourselves. If I just live a really good life, if I'm really nice to people, if I don't use foul language except for, you know, when Carolina's losing a game they shouldn't lose, then I'm going to be good with God. Let me tell you something. You will never, ever make it to a day where God's going to look at you and he's going to say, finally, finally he deserves, he deserves me. We're all messed up. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 tells us there's a price to pay for that. It says the wages of sin is death. And so God knows that. And God is not a God who is looking to bust you in the head. God recognizes that you and I are people who are in need of rescue. And so that is why Jesus entered into our world to rescue us from danger. That word in verse 13, rescued, it means to rescue from danger, to be delivered from danger by force. I like that. He is coming out to rescue you by force. Now, I used to view rescue and salvation as, as God, you know, getting a life preserver, and we're like drowning in the water, and he throws a life preserver out to us and says, there's Jesus, you know, grab onto him, and you're going to be good. Now, I like that, but, but Ephesians 2 tells me that we are all dead in our sin. We are dead in our sin. So if I am dead in my sin and I'm floating behind a boat and you grab a life preserver and throw it out to me, is it going to do me any good? Have you ever seen a dead man grab anything? If you have, that would be scary. But that doesn't happen. And you're, you're just dead. And so because of that, that's why it says that Jesus rescues us by force. You know, the picture is you can see him jumping into the water himself and grabbing onto us in order to bring us into life, to deliver us. You know, deliverance is a, is a theme all throughout Scripture. You know, the Hebrew people were delivered out of Egyptian captivity. 
whenever you read in the New Testament, you see Jesus will deliver people out of sickness. He would even deliver people out of death and give them life. He's a deliverer. He's a savior. Scripture also says that he will transfer us into his kingdom according to verse number 12 or 13. That word transfer, it means God will move you from one country to another. The idea is on our own, we are naturally attracted to darkness. Isn't that weird? We're not attracted to good things naturally in life. We are attracted to darkness. You know, you think about that in the morning. Whenever it's dark, don't you hate it when somebody flips on a light all of a sudden? You know, Emily, whenever I get up and I go into the bathroom, Emily will turn up the light and she'll run over to the closet turn that light on because I don't want that bright light shining in my face. Um, whenever you come to church on Sunday mornings, we, we try to get you to walk in the darkness by putting Dunkin' Donuts. Did y'all see those donuts today? Oh my, I was like, what's that all about? I'm a diabetic and I was back there, you know, pounding donuts, you know, shooting up my insulin. I was like, what's the deal with that? So we want you to walk in, we are natu- we're not drawn to, there's quiche back there, I love quiche. How many of y'all said, I want some quiche today? None of us did. We all said, I want the donut with sprinkles. So that is darkness. We are naturally drawn to things that aren't good for us. And so Jesus says, I know that, so I'm coming here in order to grab hold of you and pull you out of darkness into light, because light is better than darkness. Whenever I was a, a kid, and my, my sister uh, is, can testify to this, our parents, sometimes on vacation, one of the things we would do is, my dad's a pastor, and we would go to the Southern Baptist Convention for vacation. It's better than Disney World. And uh, so, yeah, if y'all ever want to do that, let me know, and I'll get, you, I'll get you a ticket to the convention. You get to lis- listen to a bunch of guys preach all day long and, and go to business meetings. So that was fun. So dad said, boy, this would be a great trip for the kids. And uh, so he uh, took us down. I don't remember what year it was. It was, uh, it was the early, I guess it was the 70s. And we went to Miami, Miami, Florida. And so there was a pool out there. And so we'd get in the pool and we'd you know, kind of thrash around a little bit. I didn't know how to swim. And uh, so after a couple of days, you, know, you think you're good at it. And so you kind of jump off into the deep end. And then I just, I sink like a rock. And so, and I'm thrashing around. And my dad had to jump into the pool and grab hold of me, take me out of the water from drowning and set me outside of the pool and then say, go dry off, like you're done. Okay, so that, that, now that is, in life, we are a bunch of people who are thrashing around in the deep end going under. And Jesus says, I'm going to transfer you from death into life. Now, and I, I, look, at, I look at Scripture and I think, what, why should Jesus have a say over anything in my life? Why should I want to live not for myself but for him? It's real simple. He's Savior. If you don't let him rescue you, we're going to drown. We're going to be in trouble. Our lives are going to be in destruction. See, Jesus came in order to rescue, to save, to redeem. That's why I love Ephesians 1.7. It says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the richness of his grace. Jesus came to rescue, and a part of rescue is forgiveness. You know what the word forgiveness means? The word forgiveness, it means to cancel a debt. It means to send away a debt. Now, we all have that debt of sin, so, and we, we can't pay it off. That's what we said at the very beginning. So Jesus entered into this world 
in order to send our debt away. He paid it off himself whenever he went to the cross. It's forgiveness. He offers it to you. So when I look in the scripture, I say, well, why should Jesus be preeminent? He's a savior. That's a big deal. He's a savior. Why, why else should Jesus be preeminent? If you continue to read in the scripture, it says, because he is creator. So he's not only savior, but he is also creator. Verse number 15 says this about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Because by him everything was created in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. This is really important here. It says all things have been created through him and for him. And Jesus, he is before all things. And by him all things are held together. Now that's an interesting section of scripture there. And this letter was written to the church in Colossae. Now Colossae is uh, if you're unless you're a geography nut, uh, Colossae is in modern day Greece. Now, typically, whenever you think of ancient Greece, I mean, there's a few things that just automatically pop into my mind. I think you know, like the the Parthenon. Um, I think you know, that there's the Acropolis, and then the other thing I start thinking about is I I think about all the philosophers, right? You think about? Do you all think that? I do. Um, Socrates, or is it Socrates? Socrates, you know, all these different guys that are there, really smart people. Now, one of the things a lot of these philosophers said was that all matter is evil. So that meant that your body was evil. Only your spirit was really the only thing that mattered, the only thing that was good. And so what they were saying about Jesus here is they're saying Jesus was, he was not a man. They're like, he was just a spirit force that looked like a person. Because the body is evil. So Paul, this is what Paul's, Paul's writing about this. He's not, no, Jesus, Jesus loves creation. Jesus made everything. If you go back to the book of Genesis, it says that whenever God made things, when he created, y'all remember it says, and he created, and it was good. So he just says it over and over again. And so then Paul says, no, Jesus is very instrumental in creation. As a matter of fact, he is the firstborn over all creation. Now, when it says firstborn, firstborn is not referencing time. It does not mean that Jesus was the first of all creation. It's speaking of place and importance. And I'll, I'll try to explain it like this. In Psalm 89, 27, we are told that King Solomon was David's firstborn. Now, Solomon was not his firstborn natural child or son. What it meant is that Solomon was his most important son. Because he was the king. So who is Jesus? Well, Jesus is the most important of all things in our world. He's of first importance. Now, Jesus is not a created being because we are told in our text that he is the creator. Paul said this about Jesus. He said he is the image of the invisible God. The word image in our text, it means the exact representation of God. Now, this is different than somebody, yesterday we were at a, at a wedding shower and somebody came up to me and said, you look just like your dad. And so they told me that. Now, now, a lot of people will say that I look like my dad. Some people say my sister looks like my mom. Now, and my nephew, Hughes, he looks like me. So you're welcome, Hughes. 
And so they, uh, so they, you know, they say we look just alike. But while we look alike, that means we, do, we don't look exactly alike. Um, my hair's darker than my dad's. Not because his hair's turning gray now, but his hair's a little more auburn in color. Um, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit taller than my father. I have a better tan than dad. I'm kidding. We neither one of us tan. And so, but we, we, we kind of we look alike, but we don't look exactly alike. Now, that's not what Paul was saying about Jesus. He was not saying, you know, Jesus looks a whole lot like God. No, he says he is the exact representation of God. Now, that's significant. Jesus said this himself in John 14, 9. He said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. It's only in Jesus that God is perfectly revealed to us. And so, now, why is that important? Because, guys, let me tell you something. If, if Jesus is the exact representation of God, he's a creator. And that's what our verses say. It says, all things came into existence through him. You know, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, what did God do? He created the heavens and the earth. Okay, now we're told right here in Colossians 1 that all things were created through Jesus. So what we are seeing here is that Jesus is creator. John 1.3 says of Jesus... All things were made by him. Not only that, all things are held together in creation by God. Now this is really, I really think this is encouraging for Christians on a couple of levels. Now you might say, it doesn't look like God's holding things together in this world today. I mean, it look, the world is in chaos. There is evil that runs rampant. There are wars that are going on. And I mean, I'm right there with you. There's sickness that happens. There are things that happen to people that I do not have any answers for. God, why does that happen? But all things in creation are held together by God. You know, the, the world is still spinning on its axis in perfection. The world is at just the right angle from the sun. The world is at just the right place so that we can breathe. As you kind of go through and look at the big picture of life, Here's what I'm coming to understand more and more. It is God is holding all things together, and he is in control. So what does that mean for you? When you are weary, God is in control. Whenever you feel cheated, God is in control. Whenever you hurt and are suffering, God is in control. He's in charge. So why is he to be preeminent? Well, he is Savior. He is creator. Here's another one. He's the head of the church. Now that's important for us as believers. And we're gathered here together as believers, believing that Jesus is Lord. He is the head of the church. Look in verse number 18. It says of Jesus, He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. See, God wants first place, not on Sundays, he wants first place in everything. One of the most vivid examples that Paul gives of the church is he calls it the body of Christ. Now, if there is a body of Christ, and no one church, by the way, can claim to be the entire body of Christ. I mean, we are not, this not, not, we're not it. All over the world, whoever follows Jesus, we are a part of the body of Christ. Now, if there is a body, it's got to have a head. If you, if you ever see a body with no head, it's dead, right? So with the head, there has to be life. Now, 
So what does the Bible tell us about the church? Who is the head? It's Jesus. What does the head do? Instructs. Tells the body what to do. You might say, well, what is, what is Christ telling us to do? Well, I can name some generic, some general things that, that Christ calls us to do that we can all at Village Church that we can participate in. One of the things that he calls the body to do is he calls for us to pray. You know, if we're going to function correctly, then we're to be a people of prayer. So what do I pray about? Yeah, here's a couple things. Guys, one thing we ought to do is we ought to pray for each other and for this body of believers right here that we would make an impact, that we would make a difference where we live. One of the things that we can do is that we can pray as a church for that new, there's a new neighbor. Have y'all noticed there's a new neighborhood coming up right next door? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's huge. It's going to be 400, I think we're close to 400 homes coming in next door. Now, I know that many of you as residents are saying traffic, and I don't like that. But think about it like this. As the body of Christ, we can say there's going to be a whole lot of new families over there, and we have a chance to share Jesus with them. Pray that God would give us an open door in that area, that God would touch the lives of those people, and that we would be an influence for them. Another thing that you can do is you can also serve. You know, determine right now that, you know, that you're not going to be a spectator Christian, but that you're going to be involved in service. You're going to say, what do I, how do I serve? Now, the good news is, man, we can tell you how to serve. Now, if you look in your bulletin, you can go in there, and there's some service areas where, where we need some help. You might want to investigate those. Starting September 9th, we're going through C4. This is the way that our church engages culture and how we serve in our community. And you're going to have the opportunity to pick out some different areas where you can plug in and serve. So who's Jesus? He is the head of the church. He instructs us in, one, in what to do. Then Paul also said that he, Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. Now that doesn't mean he was the first person ever raised from the dead. It just means he's the most important person ever raised from the dead. You know why he's the most important person ever raised from the dead? Because when he rose from the dead, having lived a perfect life, having died as a sacrifice for your sins, he applies that power that raised him from the dead to your life so that you can be raised from the dead. His resurrection directly affects and impacts you. Now, whenever things don't directly affect or impact me, I just don't care. That's not, I mean, that's not maybe not the best thing to say, but... You know, like there'll be people, and football season's kicking up, and there'll be people who uh, root for other teams, and their team will lose, and they'll, be, they'll just be heartbroken. And I don't care. And, and you know why? Because it doesn't, it doesn't directly affect me. You know, and I'll sit there, and, I'll, and, I, and sometimes you just kind of, and for some teams, there's just a little warm feeling of, you know, just a warm glow inside. <laughs> oh, gosh, I hate that your team lost. <laughs> You know, just so you know, kind of kind of enjoy that. But whenever it's my team, now that directly impacts me. I care when it's when it's my team, right? Do you all feel the same way? When it's your team, it's different. Well, I want you to understand this. When we talk about the resurrection of Jesus, it it directly impacts you. Life eternal is an option for you. Now, if you don't care, oh there's going to be a day when you will. You might say, well, why should, I, why should I pay attention to Jesus? Why should I follow him? 
Why should it be whatever he wants and not what I want? A few simple reasons here. He's the Savior. He's the Creator. He is the head of the church. And then here's the last one. He ought to be preeminent in your life and my life because he is God. Jesus is God. Verse number 19 says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything to himself by making peace through the blood of his cross, whether things in heaven or on earth or the things in heaven. Now, verse number 19 tells, that, tells us that God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in Jesus. All of his fullness. What's that? Well, that word fullness, it means the sum total of all the power and all the attributes of God. Now think about that. God said, I, all my fullness dwells in Jesus. Now here's just the real simple explanation of that. This is what it means. It means Jesus is God. The perfect representation of God that's ever been given to our world is Jesus. Now, what does Jesus do? Because he is God. It says he reconciles man to himself. It means he can do things that we can't do. Very beginning. So it doesn't matter how good you are, never going to be a day when you earn your way into God's good favor. It is Jesus who will pull you out of darkness and bring you into light, bring you into reconciliation with God. Remember, that's, that's, that all began in the book of Genesis with Adam and Eve. Y'all remember the story? I, mean, I know you do. Adam, the story of Adam and Eve. Very first relationship there was. And Eve messed it all up. Right? I'm kidding. Now, she, 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 she got, and there's Adam, and they're, they're sitting there, and she's like, hey, you want to buy this apple? He's like, yeah, man, let me have a taste of that thing. And it just screwed everything up from then on. Remember what God did? Kicked him out of the garden. But while he kicked him out of the garden, he, he, was, he didn't hate them. You see, for the first time, they recognized their sin. They saw that they were, they were naked and ashamed. And so what did God do? God gave them a covering. He gave them animal skins and covered up their nakedness. Y'all, today, there's so many of us, whenever we come under conviction, we can begin to see our failures, and we can see our shame and our nakedness. And God says, I will cover you with the blood of Jesus Christ so that you can be reconciled to me. See, Jesus completes people. Now, now, who is that covering from sin for? It's for those who believe. For those who trust Jesus, who surrender their lives to Him. All right, now saying all those things, here's the big question. What place does Jesus take in your life? When you hear the song, any way you want it, are you singing it to yourself? Any way I want it, that's the way I need it. Or are you willing to say, God, any way you want it, that's the way that I need it. See, if Jesus is taking place behind you know, your job, behind your, your relationships, behind your, your hobbies and your recreation, let me tell you something, you need to reorder your priorities because Jesus wants to be, he's, he demands it, that he is first, and the scripture says, in all things. 
Why should I do that? Real simple. He is Savior. He is Creator. He's the head of the church. He is God. In this life, it is not about you. It's not about me. It is about God. Now what I'd like for us to do is I'd like to bow our heads and, and to close our eyes. And it could be that maybe there's some of you as believers, you say, you know what, if I am honest, I need to reorder my priorities. Do that today. You know, make that commitment today and just and share that with God as you pray. And just say, Lord, there are some other things that are taking preeminence in my life. And, and Lord, I just I want to lay those things before you. Lord, I want to put them on an altar and sacrifice those things. May God be obedient to you. It could be there's some, some relationships that you know that are, they are not godly. They do not lift you up, but instead they tear you down. And you need to sacrifice those things. Lay those relationships to the side and say, God, I, I choose you. Could be there are, there are there are things that maybe you watch or maybe some some things that you are participating in and then you know those things do not bring honor to God you need to sacrifice those things and lay them down and say God I will lay those things down and I will stay away from those things because Lord I want you to be preeminent in my life maybe others of you today you have never surrendered your life to Jesus you have always been preeminent today sacrifice that and you can talk to the Lord in prayer and just simply say, Jesus, today I surrender my life to you. Forgive me of my sins. Be my Lord and Savior. Lord, I will live for you. And if you, if you prayed that, let us know. Take your bulletin out, fill out that contact form. Just check that line. I commit my life to Christ today. You tear it out, and as you leave, our ushers will hold baskets, and you can drop that in the basket, and we can get you some information in the mail about growing in the walk with God. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your goodness, for your grace. Jesus, I thank you that, that while you are you know, the creator, while you are God, and you are the head of the church, and you are the Savior, God, you love us, and your desire is to rescue us.